is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Why does he let this happen? Not only that, why hasn't God answered yes to all of my prayers? I pray in faith. How long have we been praying for revival to come to America? Answer that question. How long have we been praying for revival to come to the whole world? Why doesn't God answer yes? Why is there no revival? We pray for decades, and it seems like God doesn't hear. Why? Why doesn't God bring America to its knees? Why doesn't God take these people who've turned against Him and turn them toward Him? And you've probably asked in your own heart, on an individual basis, why does God allow so-and-so to get sick? Why doesn't God heal them? Or you've asked, why doesn't God save that person that I've prayed for month after month after month after month? Why? Why is God silent in the midst of all the atrocities committed under his name in his church? Why did he allow it in Israel? Why does he allow the world to go on like it's going on right now? If he's really God, why doesn't he fix it? Why does God allow corrupt politicians to be the leaders of this nation? Why doesn't God just strike them all dead right now as they lead the, before they can lead this nation astray? Why doesn't he raise up a righteous president to lead us, one who fears God first and foremost and worries about politics second? Why? Why doesn't God do that? You see, God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? His inaction is mysterious. Amen. And secondly, his unexpected providences are mysterious as well. And the second thing we discover from Habakkuk is that God sometimes gives very unexpected answers to our prayers. And this really shook Habakkuk. It shook him up. For a long time, God never seemed to answer him. Then, all of a sudden, God answered. In Habakkuk's mind, God was answering all along. But he was not answering the way Habakkuk wanted him to do it. And finally, God answered. 
And his answer was even more mysterious than before he answered. Because you see, Habakkuk thought he knew what Israel needed. He thought it as my Well, here's what Israel needs, God, just in case you don't know. God, number one. God, just do it this way, it'll be okay. They need revival, God. And secondly, after that, you, after you kind of put them in their place a little bit, and revival begins, then turn them around and turn them back towards you, God. That's what they need. They just need a little whipping, and then they'll get smashed down and punished a little bit, and then they need a great revival in the land, God, and they'll turn back to you, and after that, everything will be all right. But you see, God had other plans for Israel. John Newton said he felt he wanted something better in his spiritual life. So at one time, he cried out to God for a deeper knowledge of God. He cried out for a deeper understanding of his own spiritual light, and he besought God that he might have a new dimension in his Christian experience. I know some people have prayed like that. I've done it. You probably have, too. You know what happened to him? He expected some wonderful vision of God or some dramatic blessing from heaven. Do you know what he got instead? Instead, he had an experience in which for months, God seemed to be a million miles away. God seemed to abandon John Newton to Satan himself. He was tempted and tried beyond his comprehension. The exact opposite of what he was asking for. But you see, God had allowed Newton to go into the depths of suffering in order to teach him how to depend entirely on him. Only then, when Newton had learned his lesson, did God bring him out and bless him. Amen? And there's a Bible principle there, that suffering always precedes glory. Do you know that? Suffering always precedes glory. And I suppose the best illustration of that is football practice. Some of the guys know about that. Amen. As I look back on that, you know, you live for the glory on Friday night in high school or Saturday in college. Oh, the suffering through the week. Sometimes two-day practices in the heat and the humidity and over and over and over again, the same drills. But there's some basic principles in life where suffering also precedes glory. No man ever attained anything in life but what he suffered through some sacrificial hours to take himself to that glory. Even, you know, politicians today, I have friends that have achieved political office in the state level, and they spend days knocking doors, meeting people. They put in hours and hours and hours every day shaking hands, asking questions, see what's on the minds of the people. They are agonizing through this. They don't want to do it that way. They would much sooner just put their name on the ballot and then kick back in their house and on election night win. But they know 
that they have to do these things if they can adequately convince people they can represent their interests. They have to do these things so that they can adequately represent these people's interests because they know because they talk to these people. Amen. So their basic principles in life were suffering precedes glory. No man ever yet attained anything in life but that he first suffered through some sacrificial hours in order to put himself in position to receive that glory. No man ever became effective, no man ever became astute in any dimension of education until he sacrificed hours and hours and hours of careful study. No man ever became a well-trained athlete who performs well at the big moment Unless he disciplined and sacrificed through the hours and hours and hours that nobody ever saw. How many of you ever asked God to make you suffer? How many of you ever gotten down on your knees and said, God, make me suffer? Or literally, smash me down, God, just crush me so I can know you better. Have you ever prayed that? I never I don't want to. Because I believe that type of prayer God would answer very quickly if you prayed that way. Amen. But what do we pray? Lord, protect me. Lord, keep me safe as I go over here. Lord, bless our family. Lord, watch over us. Lord, take care of us. Lord, do this or do that. You know, Keep the little wall of protection around us. Lord, don't ever let anything happen to us. Is that the way we pray? Is that the way you pray? I think it is, isn't it? Now, does it make sense to you why some things are happening? You see, there's a basic biblical principle that says what precedes glory? Suffering. That's a spiritual principle. Suffering always precedes glory. But we don't pray for that, do we? All we want is the glory. You want to know something? Someday Israel is going to be glorified. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. Someday they are going to reign with Christ who is their Messiah, aren't they? For a thousand years. They're going to have the glory, but first, they're suffering. Someday the church is going to be glorified, isn't it? In that day, we will meet Jesus Christ in our glorified bodies, but not before we go through some suffering while in this world. We all like to write our own prescription to our own answers to our own prayers, don't we? We pray in the back of our minds and say, God, uh, just in case you're stuck for a plan, here's an idea. But we forget the fact that God sometimes makes things an awful lot worse before they get any better. You don't hear that preached much in a lot of churches today, do you? How many faith churches would empty out if the preacher got up there and said, God will answer your prayers, every single one of them, right after he crushes you to the point where you feel all is lost. I don't think that would sell very many CDs or increase their offerings and collections, would it? 
just remember that God may do the exact opposite of what you're expecting or what you need. But don't forget, it might look like the backside of a Persian rug to you, but on the other side, the side that God sees, it's a beautiful, glorious tapestry. What we're seeing today as we look at things is the backside. What we're seeing today in the world is the suffering that the world is going through in order to get ready for the glory that's about to emerge. Glory to God. Shout amen, somebody. You know that someday this world is going to perish. It's going to be in the hands of Jesus Christ and the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. The little child's going to play in a snake pit and never be bitten. And do you know that the nations are going to go in and out and see Jesus Christ reigning on the throne of David and Israel is going to be glorified and the church is going to be glorified and Christ is going to be glorified but not before suffering comes. God is beating this world down in our eyes right now. Judgment is beginning right now. We see it happening right now. And it will last up until the time that Christ comes in final judgment. Until the day this world is going to be under the judgment of God. In order to get it ready for the glory. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Why should I deserve anything that Jesus never had? It was needful for him to suffer before he could be glorified. What makes you think you're so special you don't have to do the same thing? Things are going to get worse and worse. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, well, verse 13 or so, Paul says to Timothy, Evil men shall wax, what? Worse and worse in the last days. And we start reading prophetic scriptures. And we're going to get into a series on prophetic themes for today, either during this series or it'll be the one following the study of Habakkuk and revival in America. But uh, we'll follow the Lord's leading on that. But the end times are about to emerge. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We read about that in the end time. There's going to be lawlessness. In Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says that the spirit of lawlessness is going to run wild in the end times. Amen? We read that in the end times there's going to arise false religions called by Paul in his letter to Timothy, doctrines of evil. Doctrines of devils, I'm sorry. We read that in the last days there's going to be apostates who go around denying the Lord that bought them in Second Peter 2. We read that things are going to get worse and worse and worse, not better. And I'm telling you right now, if you're spending your time praying for peace, forget it. Pray for peace in the hearts of men, not peace in the world. There will never be peace in this world until Jesus returns. And if you're praying to the end of all wars, forget it. There's not going to be an end to war until Jesus comes. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse before they get any better. The lines are being drawn right now for the battle of Armageddon. Russia's ready, the king of the north. Egypt and the Arab states are ready, the king of the south. 
From the east, the great red Chinese guard, now numbering 200 million, exactly as prophesied in the book of Revelation. They're ready. The Russians started a seven-year project to dam up the Euphrates. The Bible says the Euphrates will be dried up while the kings of the east march across it. This world is getting ready and there is not going to be any peace. It's only going to get worse and worse before it gets any better. And so sometimes we think we know how God should work this, how he should answer our prayers. He's not doing it the way we think he should. And in verse 6, he told Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to judge Israel. So God's ways are mysterious. His unexpected providences are mysterious. Certainly his instruments are mysterious. And when he talks about the Chaldeans, that must have really been a problem for Habakkuk because the Chaldeans were one of the most despised peoples in his day. They were absolutely pagan, totally godless. I believe God is telling us today he is raising up the Muslims as his instrument to bring judgment on America today. That does not mean the God of the Muslims is our God. He's not. It means that God is not going to stop the Muslims who are led by the spirit of Satan. He's allowing them to gain these advances because they are operating on his agenda to bring judgment to America and to the world, to show up and show off, if you would, when he has Jesus make his grand entrance, putting them all down with the sword of his mouth. Amen. So if God wants to use the Chaldeans, he can do it. He can do it. I mean, God has used all sorts of strange instruments to bring his purpose to, plat, to pass. We talked about earlier, he used an ass in Numbers 22. He used a coin and a fish's mouth and perhaps other occasions that we don't have time to go into. Amen? Because we're starting to run out of time. One prime example of that, though, I find in Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. If you have your Bible, you can look at that. Isaiah 44. Here you have the incident of Israel, the prophecy regarding Israel being released from Babylonian captivity. In Isaiah 44, about verse 28, there's the prophecy about Cyrus. This was many, many, many years before Cyrus was even born, let alone raised up as king. God says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd? God says that Cyrus, a pagan king, is his shepherd. And he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation can be laid. Then look at this first verse, uh, the next chapter, verse 45. Chapter 45, verse 1. Not only does he call him a shepherd, he says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Cyrus was a pagan king going back to the days of Habakkuk. Cyrus was a pagan king, yet God said, I'm going to use Cyrus to free Israel from bondage. And he carried it even further by saying, Cyrus is my shepherd. He's my anointed one. I'll tell you what, God uses some strange instruments to carry out his judgment, doesn't he? One perhaps very strange instrument is the Antichrist, who's definitely, believe it or not, being used or is going to be used by God in the tribulation to do exactly what God wants him to do. 
Not only that, the same is true about the kings of the north. All the parts that are involved in prophecy and tribulation are being used by God to bring his will to pass. I mean, you could read Ezekiel 38. There's one little phrase in there. It talks about the kings of the north coming against Israel. It says God will put hooks in their jaws and bring them down. God literally brings the kings of the north against his nation, Israel. Why? God uses strange instruments in his plan. He has to crush Israel to the point where they, the only thing they can do is cry out to God. They are no longer capable of doing anything on their own. Then... Jesus returns. So if Israel is dependent on the United States, what does God have to do to the United States of America? He's got to crush us to the point where we can't come and help Israel. That'll go over real good in church today, won't it? Today, because of the New Testament, we know how it all ends, don't we? Habakkuk didn't know. He was in a far worse dilemma than we are. We know God is letting things happen to prepare the world for judgment because after judgment comes, what? Glory. The kingdom of God arise. Praise God. The worst judgment this world will ever see is in the tribulation. In Matthew 24, Jesus says there's nothing like it since the beginning of time. Nothing like it. Following that tremendous wrath of God that he's going to pour out, immediately, immediately following it is the glorification of Christ, of Israel, and of the church. Amen. So God's ways are mysterious. His inactions mysterious. His unexpected providences are mysterious. And certainly his unusual instruments are mysterious. As a result, secondly, God's ways are misunderstood. I've got to hurry now. Not only mysterious, but misunderstood. There's two different groups of people that misunderstand God's ways. First of all, careless religious people misunderstand His ways. In Matthew 7, you can read about the many very religious people that will be at the judgment seat, right? They're going to say, Lord, Lord, here we are. And He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're going to, be many, or you're going to see very many people who are religious, but... Careless, godless, godless religious people. Look at verse 5. Behold, among the nations will regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe even though it's told to you. These religious Israelites didn't believe the message that God gave them. They did not believe it. Israel would not believe it. No matter what God did, they never believed the prophets. They did not believe that their God would ever allow the temple to be destroyed the first time or the second time. Many in America do not believe that God would ever allow this nation to be overthrown, ever. But that's not what God says, is it? Matthew 21, you have one of the saddest parables in all the Bible. I'm just going to refer to it. The man who had the vineyard. He brought people in, and his servants would come to collect the harvest, and the people would kill the servants. Finally, he said, I'll put my own son in there. Surely they won't kill him. What do they do? They killed the son. 
That is a graphic illustration of the fact, no matter who God sends to Israel, they always did the same thing to them. They never believed God. They would never believe God. And God said, judgment, 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 judgment. The prophets kept crying, judgment, judgment, judgment. Nobody believed them. Yet they fancied themselves to be the religious people. There are people like that today in America. There are people in churches today, liberal churches, sitting around singing little hymns and listening to little spiritual thoughts dripping off the lips of these preachers who carelessly sit there thinking that religion is going to protect them and ignore again and again and again the scriptures that talk about judgment, judgment, judgment. Just to show you how they do this, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see a characteristic of careless religious people. 2 Peter 3. I got like three minutes left. Let's see, verse 4. Well, really, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in, what? The last days. Scoffers, walking after their own lust. And here it comes in verse 4. says, what? Where is the promise of his coming? This is always, always, always the attitude of the apostate. They deny the deity of Christ, and secondly, they always deny the second coming. They reject every scripture that talks about judgment. They sit in their churches day after day, week after week, year after year, sitting in their schools and their seminaries and all this, and reject all of the scripture that is so explicit about judgment. You want to hear the brilliance of their argument? They'll shock you. Listen to verse 4. Listen to this logic in verse 4. Here's what they For since the fathers all died, all things continued as they were from the beginning. Isn't that brilliant? You know what they're saying? Well, he'll never come because he never has. See, I'll never die because I haven't died yet. How stupid is that? They told Noah, it's not going to rain because it's never rained. God said, my spirit will not always, what? Strive with man. It did rain. Judgment did come. It says here in verse 5, How can anybody be stupid enough to believe that kind of logic? Because verse 5 explains it. This is what? They are willingly ignorant. They want to be stupid on this point. They don't want to buy judgment, do they? They don't want anything to do with judgment. We have the same kind of people here with us today. Not in America. Other nations might be judged, but we know him, so it will not happen here. They continue to deny scriptural evidence that judgment is coming. Amen? I could go on and on. We'll continue this again next week. But I want you to see something in the last minute or so that we have. What God permits in the church, what God permits in the world, is related to his coming kingdom. And it's going to be established. The principle is the same. Before the glory, there must always be suffering. So don't stumble at world events that you see in the news. And we've just scratched the surface of this book. We're going to go deeper and deeper into it. But don't stumble at world events. If you're a Christian, just ask yourself, whatever's happening, ask yourself this, how does this relate to the kingdom of God? Ask yourself that if you're a Christian, what is going on? How does it fit into God's plan to establish his kingdom? If you can't figure it out, why there's conflict in Israel, ask yourself, how does this fit into God establishing his kingdom? If you can't figure out why there's problems in our country or around the world or in your own life, ask, how does this fit into God's kingdom? 
If you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not part of his kingdom, ask yourself this. What is God trying to tell me? What is he saying? If you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life or a Savior, allow his sacrifice to pay for your sins. Say this prayer with me right now. Lord God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. And I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. And I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe you paid the total price for my sins. Come into my heart. Create in me a new man, one that is righteous in the Father's eyes. I make you Lord of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. And be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.